0: Chapter 12, as we get back into our Old Testament study on Thursday nights. Uh, I was blessed that Thomas was able to stand in for me last week. I watched his study and he just did an amazing job. And I'm so just so blessed again to be surrounded by some of these guys that, uh, that the Lord allows me to have. And so <clears throat> we have a couple more studies left in the book of Hosea. And so what we're going to do once we finish Hosea, uh, we'll go right into the book of Joel. So I want to encourage you to read ahead, read the book of Joel, just so you get a feel for, for what Joel, the prophet Joel talks about, and so we'll, we'll, we'll go right into that place. And so in the last several chapters of the book of Hosea, we see God's unceasing love for Israel. Um, we see the, the restoration of Israel, and, and it's been kind of a trip because we've been going through this book, and it's a heavy book because, again, there's judgment that, that, that's due. Judgment is being doled out, and it will come. And, and, and the focus and the emphasis of the book of Hosea is on Israel, but the northern kingdom, also referred to as Ephraim that, that that's, that's who this judgment is coming. And they came to a point in their history, they, they, they lasted for about 210 years, and they have like 30-some years left. And, and by now, in our text, they have a shorter time. But right after King um, Jeroboam II, man, it was after that that the, they passed this line and judgment was going to come, and they were not going to escape it. And that's where we find ourselves as we're studying this, this word, and, and, and again, man, the, I, I was looking at the scripture as I'm looking at this, and what came to mind was in, in Hebrew 12, Hebrews 12, 6. It says, To whom the Lord loves, he chastises. He chastens. And scourges every son in whom he receives. And chastising is not is is not the judge inflicting punishment on a criminal in order to uphold the law. Chastising is more of a a loving parent who would be disciplined his or her child in in order to build something in them, to to strengthen their character, to, to build in them integrity. Because again, most of us as children, again, whether you had great parents, bad parents, however it was, but they, they probably did the best they probably could. And yet they, they, they loved us enough for the most part to discipline us. And it wasn't because they hated us, because they wanted to create good citizens. And God's the same way as we're looking at his word here. You know, punishment had to do with the law, which is important, but chastening had to do with love. And God is a God of love. And so it's important that we understand that because again, he kind of reiterates that in, in Hebrew, or, or in it was in Hebrews, but in, in Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, he says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son, in whom... He delights. And what we've been seeing through the book of Hosea is a loving father. Allowing the consequences of disobedience to take place. You see, God never threatens. He promises. I like that about God. He just doesn't throw empty threats out there. He promised his people you see, the Lord promised that the obedience, that obedience would lead to blessings and disobedience would lead to cursings. Deuteronomy twenty eight. And as God is a God of love, he is also a God of judgment, and he's not afraid to use judgment. I, I often say it's not his handiwork, but he will do it, and he's good at it. He really is. And I think oftentimes with us as, as parents, sometimes, you know, when our kids do something naughty or bad or whatever it is, you know, we, we, we want to save them from the consequences. Sometimes you can't, you shouldn't. Let them pay the consequences so they can learn. Now, I don't want to pay the consequences. <laughs> I'd rather see you go through the consequences and I'll learn from your mistakes but, but, but again, God, God is not afraid to let his children go through the consequences for disobedience. And so we're in, he, in, in, in Hosea chapter 12. We'll read the, or do the whole chapter, but let's go to verse 8 for right now. Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind. He daily increases lies and desolation. Also, they make a covenant with the Assyrians, and oil is carried to Egypt. The Lord also brings a charge against Judah, and will punish Jacob. According to his ways, according to his deeds, he will recompense him. He took his brother by the heel in the womb, and in his strength, He struggled with God. Yes, he struggled with the angel and prevailed and wept and sought favor from him. He found him in Bethel. And there he spoke to us. That is, the Lord God of hosts. The Lord is his memorable name. So you... By the help of your God, return, observe mercy and justice, and wait on, the, on, on your God continually. A cunning Canaanite, deceitful scales are in his hands. He loves to oppress, and Ephraim said, surely I have become rich. I have found wealth for myself and in all and in all. In all my labors. They shall find me no they shall find in me no iniquity that is sin. Again, when we're looking at, at Ephraim, and I know some translations might have Israel in there, and again, they're synonymous. When when he's talking about about Ephraim, he's talking about the northern kingdom. He's been, he's been ministering, Hosea the prophet has been ministering to the northern kingdom. Now again, we heard Judah's name and Judah is the southern kingdom and he throws them in there. We saw that in, in, in chapter or in verse 2, but, but for the most part, the judgment that is coming is coming against the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom will have, uh, I think it's another 135 years before they are taken captive after these guys are taken captive. But we see here, it says, Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind. And that word feed means to gaze. Or not to gaze, to graze. To graze. And and I know it kind of almost sounds silly, given the fact that the prophet Hosea here is talking about a people. The northern Kingdom. As I'm looking at this, I'm thinking they're feeding on the wind and pursuing the east wind. Now, if you saw a dog chomping at the wind, trying to eat it, you'd probably go, he's the dog. Of course. They're silly. Sometimes they just go around in circles, ch- chase their tail. It's like, they don't know they're dogs. They're just dogs. They just do what dogs do. Which, again, if you saw a dog doing that, you're going, what a silly dog. He's never going to get anything because it's wind, right? It's crazy. But if you saw a person doing that, (laughs) you'd be thinking, well, they're going to come up empty rather quick. Because if they're chomping at the wind, again, if somebody saw them doing that, you'd think they're a little cuckoo. They, they, they've kind of fallen off their rocker a little bit. They're off their rocker, if you will. Now, living in feeling, they'd probably get full of air really quick because it's always windy up here. But, but, but if you saw somebody chomping at the wind, again, it, it would be futile. They would look silly trying to chew wind. And for sure, they're never going to get any nourishment. They're never going to be satisfied. Even if they did it all day long, they would never, ever be nourished by chomping at the wind. But that's exactly what Ephraim was doing. And the prophet gives us this almost silly notion that they're chomping at the wind, but the Lord is prompting him to say, that's how futile these guys are. It would be as silly as, as some hungry sheep ignoring the green pasture that they have there, and instead they're they're trying to grasp. It would be that that's ridiculous. They have green grass right here. Ephraim had the Lord God for all their life there. And yet, it seems like they're going after something that will never, ever satisfy. They were living in vanity or for vanity. They were excelling. They were prospering. It was a prosperous time in their life. And yet, they're going after these things that are vain, just like the wind and trying to eat the wind. It says that they're pursuing the east wind. Now, the east wind in the Palestine area, as I was reading, that that region, the, the, the wind is coming from Arabia, and it's coming across all this sandy wasteland, and it just kind of wreaks havoc as it comes, because from the east wind, it would be, it would be dry and, and, and it would destroy the vegetation. It would oppress the man for sure because it's a, it's a bother, but it's messing up his crops and doing all those kinds of things. It would get to the sea and it would become volatile in the sea and just kind of disrupt the sea. And so again, you, you have this picture of the east, east wind coming and causing this whirlwind and yet they're chasing after stuff like that. Things that will not satisfy and things that will become destructive in the end. That was Ephraim. An east wind apparently in most countries is is very destructive. In in Psalm 48.7 it says, As when you break the ships of Tarsus with an east wind. Job 27.21 says the east wind carries him away. He is gone. It swept it sweeps him out of his place. And so the east wind, apparently, again, it's more destructive, basically, I guess, from the west wing wind, but, but this east wind, they're they're pursuing those things. And and, and and what was happening with Ephraim that they had left God. They, they didn't forget about him, but they had left him. They were pursuing idols, they were following after after things that that truly couldn't minister to them because idols are empty and they they fed on the idols, if you will, as they worshipped. They fed on something that was unsatisfying. They would never be satisfied. They were chasing after things that were destructive in their life. And, and the bad thing about it was they weren't just doing it themselves. They were leading their families. They were leading a nation. The religious leaders had gotten caught up in all of that because, again, the religious leaders, they weren't from the line of uh, the, the priesthood of, of Aaron. They had made their own priesthood up in the northern kingdom. But they're following after these things. And there was a daily thing that they were doing. Because he says he daily increases lies and desolation. It wasn't, this, the sin wasn't a once in a while kind of sin that you might fall into. It was a habitual sin that you really didn't want to turn from. That's what they were doing. It was an ongoing life for them. And I don't think they really wanted to get away from that, even though they were coming up empty. I think we oftentimes get caught up in in our lives in chasing things that seem good, but they're very vain and or empty. And we think that if we get enough of it, we will be satisfied. And I don't know if you've ever come up empty when you thought, this is it. And you went for it, and, and you almost kind of, you didn't forget about God, but you ignored God. And you took your eyes off of Him, and you followed after things that in the end would be destructive for your life. And, and the bad thing is that what, some of the times when we're doing those things, we end up dragging people with us and bring destruction upon them, them as well. And it's devastating. It's devastating. And see, and it's in those times, just like Ephraim, that God will allow you and us to follow after those things if you want it that bad. And He'll let you come up empty. And He'll let you walk away. And once you get to a certain place that He's going, okay, there's some consequences now because I gave you time to repent and you did not. And because you did not, then the consequences will come and God will allow those consequences. And I think oftentimes that's when we go, I can't believe God would let that happen to me. It's like, really, buckaroo? Really, you didn't think that God would at one point just let you do your own thing? Well, I thought he was a loving God. Yes, he is. He loved you so much that he let you walk. And he let the judgment come. And that's what he's been doing, and that's what we've been looking at. And I know that some of you are going, well, I thought we were now in the unceasing love part. <laughs> well, again, he's loving them. <laughs> he's disciplining them. He's chasing them because he loves them. But he's telling us, here's what's going on. This is what they continue to do. They were worshiping idols, which were nothing. They are nothing. They can't speak. They can't can't hold your hand. They can't can't do anything. You think that they listen to you, but their ears, they they have no hearing. They were feeding on empty things. They were being led away by, by the winds that were blowing. They were dependent on and trusting in those things that were not dependable or trustworthy. Instead of depending on and trusting in the Lord, their God. This too was emptiness and chasing after the wind and God was allowing Israel to to be disciplined. But but he's doing this because he loves them, because he, he eventually wants to draw them back. And I've shared with you again that as we've been going through Hosea, that even though there's judgment that's allotted to them, this judgment is not forever. He he, he will have a remnant even in these 10 tribes. I know people have often talked about those lost lost 10 tribes of Israel. And people have all these speculations. I'll I'll tell you this right now. They're not lost. God knows exactly where they're at. (laughs) They've never been lost in God's economy. And these are the ten tribes of the northern kingdom that would be taken away. But they're not lost to God because He knows who they are and He draws them back. This last part of verse 1 in the, in the New Living Translation where it talked about also they, they make a covenant with the Assyrians and, and, um, and oil is carried to Egypt. It sounds like this in the New Living Translation, they pile up lies and violence. They make, they are making an alliance with Assyria and sending oil while sending oil, olive oil, to buy support of, of Egypt. And so again, they, they were following after these, these alliances that were never going to help them. They're going to help destroy them. And then in verse 2, he begins and says, The Lord will bring a charge against Judah. The, the, the guilt of Judah, the southern kingdom, was not as open as the guilt of Israel, Ephraim, the northern kingdom. As far as following after other gods, Judah kept on being warned, don't be like your sister Israel. Don't follow after other gods. But they would eventually do that. (laughs) And so so he kind of brings Judah here too. He says, I will bring a charge against Judah. and, and, And eventually, again, they would fill themselves up with the same kind of sin as Israel did. And they were well on their way at this point in writing. And so Judah is brought into the rest of this prophecy that is given to the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom. And so this prophecy is given to both of them in general. And so he mentions Judah. And if you remember, Abraham was the father of the whole Jewish nation. Before the split, after the split, they still all claimed uh, abraham but it was jacob as we move into from judah to jacob but it was jacob who built the 12 tribes of israel and so the prophet hosea uses the name jacob here for the nation to, to encompass all of them because jacob is an illustration of god's loving discipline and he gives us a picture and we almost have to go back to uh to to genesis to look at the picture, and you can read back in Genesis from about 22 to 35, I think it was 32, that you can read about, about Jacob. But it tells us here that Jacob, I will punish Jacob according to his ways and according to his deeds. He will be, or he will recompense him, or the Lord will recompense him. He will pay him for, for these sins, for his deeds and for his ways. And it tells us that he took Jacob, he took his, brother's, his brother by the heel in the womb and, his, and in his strength he struggled with God. Hosea cites several key things that, that, that happened in Jacob's life. And again, you can go back to Genesis to read about his life. And God looks back at this patriarch of, of the nation of Israel And how Israel, as a whole, in the days of of Hosea, the prophet, were just like their forefathers. They were repeating certain sins. They were repeating stubbornness and struggles and disobedience and all of these kinds of things. Because Jacob was one of those men who just struggled. (laughs) And it's interesting because even before he was born, he struggled with his brother in the womb. And, and and Rachel, the mother, yeah, Rachel, she, she's like, man, what is going on in here? And then there's a prophecy that says, oh, you have two nations inside of you, man, and they're going to fight with one another. And the older one will serve the younger, and they're just always going to have this struggle. But inside the tummy, yeah, she's pregnant, man, they're just already battling. And so Jacob was already bothering his brother in the womb. And then at birth, Jacob tries to trip up his brother as he's going out, he tries to grab his heel. Can you imagine that? I mean, some of you guys who have had babies is like, what the heck? <laughs> you know, but, but again, it's almost like, man, even, even at that, in that place, he, he tries to grab and, and, and trip up his brother, and he will do that throughout his life. But it started at the womb. The name Jacob actually means surplanter or heel catcher. One who grasps or grabs the heel. Which is another way of saying that he would be a deceiver. A con man. A trickster, if you will. And he would be that all his life. He was that kind of guy all his life. And it's quite fascinating that he is one of the patriarchs of the nation of Israel. During most of his life, again... Jacob struggles with himself, but he struggles with others. There was a lot of internal things that were going on in his life, but he had other people that he struggled with, especially his brother. But it wasn't just his brother. There was other incidences in his life. But it also tells us that he struggled with the Lord. And it wasn't until he surrendered back in in Genesis 32 in a place called Jabbok, Because most of his life, he walked not in faith, but in his own strength. And so because of that, he battled constantly. And God had to discipline him to bring him to that place of surrender. And yet it tells us here... He says he, brought, he caught his brother's uh, heel. He struggled uh, in his strength. He struggled with God. Yes, in verse 4, he struggled with the angel and prevailed. How, how is it that, that, that he struggled with God and yet it tells us that he prevailed? He, he prevailed the only way anyone can prevail when they're struggling with God. And that is we prevail when we end up losing and we know it and because we lose and we know it and we recognize it then the only thing you can do when you're at that point is you hang on to the one you're struggling with and that's what he does he struggles with God and 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 as they're they're struggling he knows that he's beat but yet he hangs on and he doesn't let go and it tells us here that he wept. Now, that, the, 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 we don't hear that in Genesis, but here the prophet has this insight that he wept at that time, that he struggled with God. And so it, I think it's important for us to understand that, that, yeah, he struggled and he wept because it helps us understand that Jacob, at this time, when he was battling with life and battling with everything, he had just got done... Seeing his brother, he was scared to death for all of that that was going on. And it just kind of shows us that in his desperation, in his brokenness, he just hung on to God because he had nothing else. And, And he pleaded for a blessing. And it was almost like he knew he had lost. And I think... That when we come to a point where we're struggling within ourselves, we're even struggling with God. And we're in these places that we're just going, like, Lord, I don't understand. And the only thing you could do is weep. And the only thing you could do is hang on. And by hanging on, you prevail instead of just giving up. You, you, you hang on and you prevail. And yet, he pleads for a blessing. Before you go, let me go. Because the angel is going, hey, it's daybreak. I got to go, man. He says, I'm not letting go until you bless me. And, and again, you're thinking, here's a guy who's been a surplanter all his life, who's been a tripper-upper all his life, man. He, he, he made life miserable for other people, it seems like. And yet, in that time, the Lord still grants him a blessing. Why? Why would he love him that much to give him a blessing after, after he's messed up other people? And so God blesses him by changing his name. The angel asks, what's your name? It's Jacob. It's a planter. Heel catcher. Tripper upper. Whatever you want to call me. I'm a deceiver. I'm a con man. I've been that all my life. And he blesses them and he says, let me change your name to Israel. Governed by God. One who has battled. One who has given up. (laughs) But even before that little blessing that he gave, he had already like jacked up his hip. (laughs) Again, he's fighting the angel like whatever he did, pulled his leg, whatever, however he pulled But it's like he he was going to walk with the limp for the rest of his life because, again, he understood that he could not battle with God and win. And and even though he was blessed, he always walked with the limp, and he never forgot that place. He never forgot that place where, where, again, he thought he had it all, and yet he had nothing at all. And God touched him. But he also touched his hip and said, from here on out, bro, you're going to limp. You're going to walk with the limp and you're going to remember. You're going to remember those battles. You're going to remember those those, those hurts and those struggles that you've gone through. And he says in verse 5, that is the Lord of hosts, the Lord God of hosts, the Lord is his memorable name. Now, again, the Lord of hosts here, the prophet Isaiah invokes this this divine title of the Lord God of hosts, the Lord of of the armies, the Lord of of the battles, of the victories. And it was a reminder of Jacob's experience in, in, in a place called Mahanaim, and, and, and that is where he met his brother. He was freaking out. He, he cut up his company in, in fours because if his brother caught those guys and jacked those guys and messed those guys up and messed those guys, he's like, Mom, I'm headed that way. And, and yet, the Lord had already gone before him and fought the battle. And it says that in that time, in, in chapter 32, that, that, that he saw the Lord's army surrounding this whole situation. Menahem means the two camps. Because again, he saw his brother coming. He knew his brother was coming, but he also saw the army of of the angels watching over his camp. He was afraid of Esau, and yet he tried to appease Esau by gifts. And, and, And instead of just trusting the Lord because the Lord had already promised him that he would take him back to Bethel, And so he promised to take care of Jacob and bring him back to that place. And yet, after he met with his brothers, when he wrestled with God, and then that's when he was broken. And I think that's the best place to be sometimes, to be broken, to be broken, to know you have nothing else except him. That's the only place. Because I think oftentimes when we think that we still have strength, it's like, Lord, I'm I'm, I'm good. I could do it. It's not a good place to be when you think that you can do it on your own. And Jacob had had to come to a point, and it's not because God hated him. He loved him. He knew that he was a a surplanter. He knew that he was a con man. He knew all these things about him, but, but it was still his. He was still his God. He knew that through Jacob, man, the 12 tribes of Israel would would flourish and and they would become like the sands of the sea and they would be a blessing to the generations. And he uses people like Jacob. (laughs) Guys who who think they have it all, but they have nothing at all. And, and, And it's not until they're broken that God can really, truly raise them up. I'm not saying that That Jacob and Israel became perfect after that. Oh, he still had his struggles. But he brought them to a place of brokenness. In verse 6 he says, So you, so you, Ephraim, so you, Judah, by the help of your God, return. It's almost like they couldn't even return on their own. God would help them to return. That's how good and loving God is. When we've strayed, it, we can't even come to God on our own. God woos us back. He helps us back. He does the work of bringing us to Himself. And He's telling them, I want you to return. You, Jacob, you deceitful nation. You, you Judah, you, 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 Israel, you deceitful nation. Return to the covenant. The Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts, return but see this this returning would, would would cause or should cause a genuine repentance that would inlo- would involve mercy and justice mercy the same Hebrew word for love there would be there would be a commitment of, of mercy love and justice that would be, dependent on God, not themselves, but on God. And he says, and wait on your God continually. Wait on your God continually. Wait, be still on your God continually. And as I was looking at that word wait, I was also thinking of someone who waits on other people continually. Continually. Continue to do the work. Continue to move forward. Continue to do what God has called you to do continually. It's important to have a continual and consistent walk and fellowship with the Lord. There's something about that, guys. That if it is continuous, continually, then then more than likely you will continue on this path. But if you just do it every once in a while, when you're in and out of fellowship, when you're in and out of, of reading your word or praying or doing any of those things that we need to, excuse me, need to discipline ourselves in, how, how, how can we have that relationship? Here, he's going, here, I'll, I'll draw you back and observe mercy and justice, but wait on me continually. Not to serve me in that sense, but, but to wait on me. Be still and know that I'm right here continually. Hang in there with me. And then he, he says in verse seven, And eight, a cunning cunning, uh, Canaanite, deceitful scales are in his hands. He loves to oppress. And Ephraim said, surely I have become uh, rich and have found wealth for myself in all my labors. They shall find in me no iniquity that is sin. Israel's repentance from verse 6 was w- would necessitate this this reversal of dealings and attitudes that we looked at, at in verse 2 his ways and his deeds something had to change something had to to give there you see at this point as i shared earlier the nation especially the northern nation was saturated was filled with 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 economic prosperity and because of that they became so dishonest they they were oppressing others there was a pride associated with with them and there was also this callousness if you will of their sin and they thought that their 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 wealth what they achieved would cover and hide their sin. And I think oftentimes, if you read through the Old Testament, you you read it through Proverbs. Oftentimes, that 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 is spoken about these scales, and how God, again, he he's very very um, interested in, in 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 scales, and and it has to do with judgments, and justices. But but some of these scales were rigged to where to where the, the, the guy who's selling was giving them less because he, 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 he kind of weighed the scale however it was to where he was, he was giving away less than he was supposed to. And then the New Living Translation, verses 7 and 8, sound like this. But no, the people are, are like crafty merchants selling for dishonest, uh, from dishonest scales. They love to cheat. Israel boasts, I am rich. I've made my fortune all by myself. No one has caught me cheating. My record is spotless. And it reminded me of, of Revelation 3.17, the church of Laodicea, where it says, Because you say, I am rich, and I have become wealthy and have need of nothing, do you not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? That was it for him. That was Ephraim. Let, let, let's read the rest of the chapter here from verse nine. "But I am the Lord your God. Ever since the land of Egypt, I will again make you dwell in tents, as in the days of the appointed feasts. I have also spoken by the prophets and have multiplied visions. I have given symbols through the witnesses or the the witness of the prophets though gilead has idols or gilead has idols surely they are vanity though they sacrifice bulls in gilgal indeed their altars shall be heaped up in furrows of the field jacob fled to the country of syria israel served For a spouse and for a wife, he tended sheep. By a prophet, the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt. And by a prophet, he was preserved. Ephraim provoked him to anger most bitterly. Therefore, the Lord will leave the guilt of his bloodshed upon him and return his reproach upon him. As I I shared with you earlier in the beginning of the study, the Lord keeps his promises. He doesn't give empty threats. I I tell parents, hey, don't threaten your children. Promise your children. In other words, when when you have to discipline, when you have to bring corporal punishment like a paddle or something, don't just wave it around like you're going to get a spanking because they know. Empty threats. But when you pull it out, promise them, if I ever pull this out, you're going to get a swat. <laughs> Ask my kids. We had this paddle drawer. <laughs> and they, they knew when that drawer was open, done, done. Shouldn't have let dad go open that th- thing. You should have repented. But again, so, so many people threaten and they never promise. And God doesn't give empty, empty threats. Understand that. When he says something, he means it. And yet he gives us time to repent, and he gave these people time to repent. But because of their blatant disobedience and ingratitude and ungratefulness, God was now going to bring judgment upon them. And he's reminding them once again that as their God, he had guided them since the days of Egypt. He had been with them, leading them through the wilderness into the promised land. And as part of this coming judgment that was coming upon Israel, for the most part, the northern kingdom, they would be going into the wilderness once again. I was going to say spiritually speaking, but it was more a metaphor. They would leave again. They would be basically living in tents. Again, they were living in prosperity. They probably had these amazing houses. And yet, once a year in the, ta- in the Feast of the Tabernacles, they would dwell in tents for a week. And he says, I'm going to take you back out there that you're going to long for that one week that you had that tent in your homeland because now you're going to live outside your homeland in exile in tents. I'm going to take you back to that place, this, the wilderness experience that they again commemorated through the Feast of the Tabernacles, man, they would long for those times, those appointed days where they were able to live in tents because that was their ritual, but they had their house right over there, which I'm sure some dads probably snuck over there during the night He's like, I'm going to sleep in my bed. That would be me. Be that as it may. Verse 10, he says, I have also spoken by the prophets and have multiplied visions, have given symbols through the witness of the prophets. Though Gilead, though Galid had idols, surely they are vanity. Though they sacrifice bulls in Gilgal, indeed their altars shall be heaped up or heaped In the furrows of the fields. The Lord had communicated through Israel by sending prophets to them. And once again, they have a prophet by the name of Hosea who is telling them about this judgment that's coming, and they didn't want to hear any of that. And so they continued to repudiate and and reject and renounce the message and the messengers that God had been sending them throughout the years. Even to this day, they did not like the message or the messenger. And he reminds them of what happened in Gilead and Gilgal because that's where the wickedness was happening of of going after idols. And so this this nation epitomized, they characterized just, just who they had been for all these years. And it would be the invading army from the Assyrians that would come. And they would be the ones that would break up the the the, the high places that the Lord always wanted His people to destroy. He abhorred these 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 places the. He detested these these places where they would go and worship. And he always told them, destroy them, knock them down. But it would be the invading army that would come and they would reduce these high places and these stones to rubble. They would pile them up, a a, a furrow, if you will, like a mound. And and that's, that's what they would end up doing. And it's interesting because God's people never did that. And instead, it would be the invading army that would fulfill that. God hated. He used even these Gentile people to do what he wanted them to do. And so in verse 12 as we're closing up here it says, Jacob fled to the country of Syria. Israel served for a spouse and for a wife he tended sheep. If you remember when Jacob left after after deceiving his dad that he was that he received the blessing from Isaac. He, he, he fled to, to Laban, to, to his relatives, which was up north, towards, the, towards, the, towards Syria. And there he would work for a, a, for a spouse. He became almost a slave to this man so that he could win this wife. And when, when he was deceived... <laughs> Then he had to work some more to get the one he really wanted but now he had these two wives. And so he worked as as a sheep herder. He tended sheep. He was a shepherd so that he could get what he needed to get. And yet God reminds them that, that even after they were sent to Egypt he sent another prophet to them, Moses who was also a man who who herded sheep for a time. And in the end here, in verse 14, Ephraim provoked him, provoked God to anger most bitterly. Therefore the Lord will leave the guilt of his bloodshed upon him and return his reproach upon him. Israel had provoked the Lord to anger so many times and God is so patient. He is long-suffering. And he gave them time and he gave them time, but, but they would always provoke him to anger. And you read that throughout the kings. In, in, in the northern kingdom, not one of their kings, the 19 kings, not one of them did right in the sight of the Lord. They always provoked the Lord. And yet he gave them some 210 years to repent, to turn. But they always provoked him to anger. And so Hosea the prophet is alluding to the idolatry this the spiritual immorality that they were continuing to provoke the Lord in going after other gods. Again we saw the, the the picture of Hosea marrying a prostitute in the beginning saying this is what Israel has done. They've prostituted themselves. And so in response to this the Lord would not not that he wouldn't forgive them, but he didn't extend that forgiveness anymore. Only because they had passed that period, that time of repentance. And, and even though they would, because some of them understand this, in that time, after they passed the line, a lot of those people went down to the south, down to the southern kingdom. But God would let the nations be guilty. He would pronounce a a, a cursing on them and they were now, the judgment was now upon them and he would let their guilt of their bloodshed be upon them. He would allow them to go through the turmoil that they would have to go through because God is not afraid to let his people walk away from him. He loves them that much that he would do that. And they would go through a terrible time, but it wouldn't be forever. Understand that. Again, I want to give you a couple the, the, the verses that I shared with you in the beginning. In Hebrews 12, 6, whom the Lord, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. Again, this, this chastening is, is, is a loving parent who wants the best for their children, who will do whatever they have to do even if they have to let their children pay the consequences so that they can learn, so that they can grow, so that they can mature, so that they can be productive later on in life. And that's what God was going to do with them. He was allowing judgment and we could call it punishment. But I see this more of the chastising and the love that God has for his people. I'll close with what I gave you earlier in in Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. As a father, the son, in whom he delights. As we continue in the book of Hosea, we continue to see God's redemptive love. He will redeem them from the judgment that He's allowed to come on them because He loves them that much. And guys, I want to encourage you. I don't know where you're at tonight. That if you feel that you've walked further than you should, God is calling you to repent, turn. Don't, keep, don't stay on that road. It, it, it will be vain. It will be futile for you. Turn. Don't chase the things that will leave you empty. God will never leave you empty. He will be your satisfaction all the time. Father, we pray and ask God that right now, wherever our hearts are at, Lord, especially with this message right now, I pray that my brothers and sisters, Lord, They see the love that you have for the nation of Israel. Lord, that, that, that we would understand just how much you loved Israel and continue to love Israel. And Lord, I pray, God, that we, as your bride, that we would understand just how much Jesus loves us. And Lord, there's times that we neglect. There's times that we ignore. There's times that we go chasing after other things. And I pray, God, that you would just remind us, Lord, of your love. That your love would, would, would draw us to repentance. That we would desire to be in that place, Lord God, of experiencing your blessings and not missing out on those. And so I pray, God, that you would just help us as individuals, as a church, Lord, Reminding us, Lord God, to keep our eyes on you. As the world calls us, Lord, as the things are flesh, Lord, just get the best of us. Help us to turn quickly to be in that place, Lord God, of fellowship with you, of understanding your mercy and your love and your grace. Thank you for being a good God, Lord, for being a just God, a good Father to us. We thank you in Jesus' name, Amen. Let's.